This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio, Season 3, Episode 9. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 9 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hetton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hetton. Good morning, Randy. Hey, Lynn. <laughs> so really excited today. Um, we're talking with Allison Zermuda and Ben Akalik, authors of ASCD book, Students at the Center, Personalized Learning with Habits of Mind. Allison is a full-time education consultant specializing in curriculum, assessment, and instruction. She's passionate about and excited to be part of the personalized learning movement, working with educators to make learning for students challenging, possible, and worthy of the attempt. Allison has authored quite a few books for ASED, Jossie Bass, and Teachers College Press. In 2015, her book, Learning Personalized, led her to develop a website for educators interested in growing their understanding of personalized learning. You can access the website, learningpersonalized.com, in the show notes. Ben is a co-director in the Institute for Habits of Mind and program director for EduPlanet 21, a company dedicated to online professional learning and curriculum development based on the Understanding by Design framework. Dr. Kalik has authored books for ASCD and Corwin with a focus on habits of mind. Her work with Art Costa led to the development of the Institute for Habits of Mind, an international organization dedicated to transforming schools into places where thinking and the habits of mind are taught, practiced, and valued, and also become infused in the culture of the school and community. Welcome to the show, Allison and Benna. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. So we had a little pre-show conversation with Allison and Benna about some of the work that we've been doing in Salisbury and that a lot of other school districts are embracing this idea of personalized learning. So we're looking forward to getting into the conversation around uh, your most recent book. So let's start with the big question behind your book, Students at the Center. What prompted you to author the book uh, focusing on personalized learning and habits of mind? And what's the big question that you are trying to answer? Thinking about the book, um, one of the things that we were concerned with was that a lot of people are saying that they want to do personalized learning and that they think that there's an urgency for it because the kids are obviously, the contemporary classroom needs to look something like the contemporary kids that we're teaching and that we're finding that that's not actually the case. The kids do their 21st century life outside of the school and then when they come into school, they're being asked to kind of go back to some 20th century techniques and strategies for teaching and learning. 
So we felt that we really, to engage the students, we really needed to begin to think about how we make sure we're putting students at the center, but putting students at the center so that they begin to own their learning, that they begin to understand what some of their aspirations are, that they get invested in, in and energized by some of their thinking and their learning. And to, in order to do that, we felt that personalized learning needed to be married with habits of mind because habits of mind are those attitudes and dispositions that really lead kids to the engagement. Not just that I'm interested, but that they're really willing to lend their mental activity to the kinds of things that we're really presenting to them. So we thought that you really can't do personalized learning unless you're also building those necessary habits and dispositions that help students to really become more committed to and invested in their learning. So one of the things that we've been talking about connected to this idea of personalized learning is agency. And I think the habits of mind are really uh, that point at which we make that connection between agency and personalized learning. And without the agency, we have this sort of distorted understanding of what personalized learning is. And I think that there's this whole range of understanding of what people think it is. And uh, what I really enjoyed about your work was having that clarity and that, that the habits of mind really focusing on that uh, idea of agency and framing personalized learning. And I think the way that we really want to. And, and the way that we uh, connected personalized learning and habits of mind were really through the identification of the four attributes that have been sort of the, the central tenet and the big idea of the book. So paying attention to student voice, for example, starting to think about as the role of the classroom teacher shifts and the role of the student shifts, how can we create better partnerships through those conversations. So the teacher's role in student voice might start paying more attention to listening with understanding and empathy and questioning and problem posing. And the idea from a student's point of view is that they need to start paying attention not only to listening with understanding and empathy as well, but to give the opportunity in this space for them to create, imagine, and innovate. And that's one of the four attributes that were, again, a through line in the book, but at the same time, really starting to show the, the vision of what a contemporary learning classroom can look like, and also how those um, the shifting moments, especially when you're incorporating technology into this space, how technology supports the quality and the relationships between teacher and student and among the students themselves. So I'm making a connection to your idea about creating. And um, when we did our profile of a graduate, we engaged student voice in that process. And one of the um, meeting topics for our superintendent student advisory council, where we brought a council in from each of our, each of our buildings um, was this question of what do you create in school and what do you create at home? So we started talking about the different kinds of activities that students had um, opportunity to create and um, exactly what you're talking about and found that there's a disconnect between home and school. Um, and that certainly engaged some thinking and some conversation. So I appreciate making that connection. Bennett, was there anything that you would like to add to that question? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I guess I'm just considering and, and thinking about the idea that when Alice's, Allison was sharing the concept of voice and you're sharing what you're talking about, 
we also began to recognize very strongly it's as good for adults as it is for kids yeah. mm -hmm. that there really isn't any way that we're going to do this if a teacher doesn't feel as if there is some way that they can develop the capacity to really be heard themselves to be advocates for their understanding about kids to be able to have a voice in some of the things that are happening in the school itself it's very hard for them to feel as if they can lend themselves to those activities with students mm -hmm. so practice and and i guess i would say developing those habits is not a matter of just naming them it's a matter of practicing them mm -hmm. and so, providing the opportunities for that yes for sure and, and I, I think it also would be helpful just to outline quickly the other three attributes in addition to voice mm -hmm. so co-creation and again this is very much lining up with what um, the conversation is geared around now is the opportunity for students to have a seat at the design table where they have some degree of um, initiative in the development and again randy you mentioned student agency earlier on um, that they, they really do feel like they can control the kind of inquiry or idea or problem or challenge that's still very much lined up with the expectations of the learning experience but at the same time have that foothold in the design piece and so you know allison that lynn really just mentioned co-creation when she was talking right. about the profile of the graduate. Absolutely. Because that's a perfect example of, <coughs> excuse me, of bringing kids in mm. and making certain that they're a part of what's going to be their learning environment. And bringing parents in is a part of co-creation as well. And as you're starting to move into the third attribute, which is social construction, that's the, the opportunity to have folks at the design table thinking and imagining and wondering together. So social construction really is their capacity to um, not only learn from experts, but also grow and share their expertise as well. So to us, social construction is this kind of dynamic cycling through where we're um, soaking in information and ideas, but we're also generating, we're synthesizing, and we're offering things out to continue to help um, spread and share and continue to revise ideas. So it's, it's a perfect opportunity to think about this question of technology, because it isn't a matter of every kid in the classroom with their earbuds on in a specialized paced uh, kind of program. It's really thinking about the idea that that may be important, but if we're not really helping them to deepen their learning and their meaning by actually communicating with one another and building more expertise, deeper meaning, more interpretation, right. and then also using technology as a way to reach out to expertise beyond the classroom. So the question that we often get asked is, is it all about, do you have to have a lot of technology? Is it all about technology and programs? And we're holding the, the um, kind of contention that technology is a wonderful tool, but used well, it really facilitates the development of relationships and the development of giving greater meaning to what you're doing. And the final attribute is self-discovery. What are we learning about ourselves and how can we continue to grow by setting goals, by having a role at evaluating my thinking, evaluating my work, and imagining what, what, what's, next, what's next for me, what do I want to continue to help accomplish 
Um, and, and all of that is a, a really lovely way to go back to the idea of agency. It goes back to the idea of dispositions as really highlighted beautifully in the profile of the graduate that you all have developed. Well, thanks for clarifying that, Allison, those different attributes. And our listeners would definitely want to pick up the book to dig deeper uh, into those. And I want to go back to uh, one thing Benna said earlier, this idea that the adults in the system need to uh, embrace and practice the development of these things. And that's one of the things that we've been saying about the profile and about those learning beliefs that we've adopted and that they just don't apply to the classroom they really apply to the whole system. So our teachers, as well as our leaders, need to develop these competencies and begin to live this too. It's not just something that we're talking about for our youngest learners. So I really appreciated that comment, Benna. Let's move on to this idea of a lot of school districts are starting to talk about personalized learning and changing the learning environment. And I think if we wanna bring about any kind of change, how do we as leaders build some sort of urgency? Why, what's the why behind why we should be doing this? So um, around personalized learning and the, the concept of it uh, in, in your book, what's the urgency? What's the why behind why we should be moving our learning environments in this direction? Uh, I think I alluded to it earlier in suggesting the idea that we're in a contemporary world in which kids are not learning in contemporary ways, that we really also have to begin to think about what this world is really, how this world is really changing. So I would not contend that we haven't always been faced by uncertainty, but it certainly is something that we now are faced with so regularly and is so in our face, so to speak, that we have to begin to think about, well, what do we do with this uncertainty? How do we deal with ambiguity? How do we make certain that the problems, which are so enormously complex and which we have more access to than ever, are really so complex that we have to now have practice with what do you do when you don't know what to do? How do you begin to behave? I mean, one of the things that we are organized, have organized our schools around is something that's more of a factory model in which you're really able to say, I know what the question is, I understand what the answer is, I know how many I've gotten right, and I know how many I got wrong, and I have to get better. But we don't really have a school that gives the opportunity for kids to raise the question of, I don't know what the answer to this is, it's not readily apparent, I have to actually use my mind in order to think about what, what I'm concerned with. And that these kinds of complex, messy, struggling sorts of problems are really an authentic mirror of what they're going to meet when they get out of school. So to make a school a place where kids can struggle with the realities of not just when we talk about college and career readiness, but when we talk about college as a very different experience in which you are going to have to be a better thinker, more independent, more self-directed, we're going to have to think about career as multiple careers in which you're probably going to have to be a learner, not just a person who has an automated idea of what happens, but a person who contributes and who's able to be collaborative. All of the, those changes in our world since we've become more global and since we've become shifting away from an industrialized world to an information-based world, all of those shifts really require an urgency for shifting what we're doing in our schools today. 
So it's this idea of embracing the current context in which we're living. And from a leadership perspective too, I, I sort of want leaders to have um, more curiosity and interest in that idea of the context in which we live in. And, you know, we're in such a public schools, we're in such a highly regulated uh, domain and, you know, policymakers are constantly telling us to do, and we can get very into that routine status quo thing. And I think that one of the challenges of leadership is how do we break out of that and still play that game, so to speak, but also think about that context and are we really doing what for our for our learners what what they're going to need in this rapidly changing context that we live in so i want to add uh, uh, three pieces to the conversation around urgency so based on some of the powerful work that ben and i are doing with school districts three major pieces come to mind the first is equity that personalized learning really is an opportunity to close achievement gaps because we're paying attention to every child as opposed to thinking about students as a whole class mentality or worried about certain groups. Um, the second piece is really grounded in relationships. And one of the things that Ben and I deeply care about is how significant the teacher is now. So one of the things that we're also a bit worried about is the, the confusion between personalized learning and individualization. So Benna alluded to this a few times now that we're, we're, our version of personalized learning is not a plug and play individualized moving through a curriculum at an efficient rate. Our, our envision is really starting to think about how can we grow relationships amongst the, the students in the classroom amongst class, uh, the, the student and the teacher, but also starting to have students have more of a relationship with the local and the global community. And finally, the last urgency piece to me is really the heartbeat of what um, Dan Pink, for example, is after, that we're really trying to, to work as a public school system to get students prepared for creative enterprises, whether they are going to be freelancers, as Dan Pink contends, or trying to get um, gainful employment in a full-time job, really trying to pay attention to the fact that, as you uh, said very beautifully in the profile of the graduate, we're trying to get, have students create bravely. I think that was one of your phrases. And the notion of creating bravely really is the territory of the kind of work that we're hoping to inspire in the curriculum of what schools are offering. I would just add one more thing to that maybe, which is the idea that what we've been doing is we've been very concerned about teaching to the test because obviously they're gatekeepers and they're external forces that we're needing to deal with. And then at the same time, we are asking ourselves, are these the most worthy tests to be teaching to? <laughs> so now we're asking the question, if, if we don't, you, you laugh, so I know what your answer is going to be. <laughs> yeah, we want more than those tests. Okay. So if that's the case, then one of the things that we challenge our, our schools when we're working with them is what would be a test that's worthy of teaching to? Mm -hmm. And that's where we begin to think about the idea that we're looking for performance. We're looking for those kinds of behaviors that demonstrate that you can struggle, that you can problem solve, that you are really willing to lend your mind to uh, investing in something that really matters to you. 
And so when we think reference Dan Pink, we're also referencing his work on motivation. Right. And we're saying that what he talks about is the idea that you need to make sure that your environment is encouraging the kind of internal motivation, mm -hmm. not just the external forces. Mm -hmm. So we have been talking about the profile of a graduate for the year. And one of the topics that has come up through natural discussion is how are we going to assess this? How do we determine if our students, when they leave us in 12th grade, um, for most of our students, you know, how do we determine whether or not they met those competencies, whether or not they can demonstrate the knowledge and skills or, or have those dispositions. So, um, you know, thinking about the idea of competencies and standards and how we can assess and provide feedback to keep moving forward in this utilizing a personalized learning approach. So anything you can share with us about the differences between competencies and standards or um, and the role of feedback and assessment in evaluating that as we may use for our profile of a graduate. So uh, when you're thinking about the standards, the standards typically are designed by a state or a national organization. And the, the theory is that the standards then can be um, drafted in ideally as, as Ben and I continue to advocate student friendly and parent friendly and teacher friendly language to start to make sure that there is transparency in the way those competencies drive uh, the curriculum, but also having the competencies be an effective way of reporting out. So the, the idea and the vision is that we're actually focusing once the competencies are drafted, whether it's drafted by a local school system or whether it's drafted through a regional or a state department of education, once the competencies are drafted, you're starting to move away from the traditional A through F system. Um, and you're actually moving toward a system that is relational in nature. So we're describing, you know, if you can imagine a big red X, you are here in, in relation to a particular skill or a particular concept. So the topic and the learning experiences that we're designing are in service to growing your competencies as we're moving through um, that uh, elementary, middle, and high school experience. And so when you're thinking about the ripple effects that might have is that you may no longer have a traditional report card anymore. You may no longer have kids sorted by grades. There may be some more heterogeneous grouping. Um, so those are just two small territories to start to think about how can we create um, feedback and reporting cycles that are much more um, uh, meaningful, but also, um, I, I wanna use the word kinder, but really trying to say, this is where you are and let's talk about how you can grow. Let's talk about the concerns and the challenges that you have. And that's something that Ben and I advocate that students have a significant um, opportunity to give guidance on their own learning, to start questioning and problem posing about where am I and how can I continue to grow and move forward. I, I think in addition to that, what we're talking about is the idea of a couple of other things. Uh, that the reporting system, we have to think about the audience. And we're suggesting that a key audience for the reporting system is the students themselves. 
And if that's the case, then we really have to be thinking more carefully about what it is that we're saying. And so when we shift to a competency-based look at what we're reporting, we're able to say, here's what you're really good at. Here are some things that you've really managed to do. Here are some things that were kind of like we could even get into a dispositional question. Here are some things that you are not doing as well. And we're wondering about the idea, are these careless mistakes? In which case you might want to develop the habit of striving for accuracy? Or are these situations where you truly don't understand and so you're not able to be persisting in a way that we're asking you to because you actually don't understand? Can you have your voice and can you talk with someone about what it is you don't understand? In other words, so many schools now are saying, let's have student-led conferences with parents. Let's have reporting systems in which kids are actually filling their own report card as a part of then triangulating with the teacher and saying, is this something that do you see me in the same way I see myself? Mm -hmm. All of those kinds of questions that really lead kids to having more agency around the evaluation system. And then finally, when we're thinking about how do you measure dispositions, we fall back into the idea that we need a rubric for it. And what I would suggest is, although the rubric might be useful, it should be a growth mute rubric. It shouldn't be a mastery rubric because no one is perfect at the dispositions. I know myself, I listen very well with understanding and empathy when I agree with you. Now, what do I do when I don't agree with you? How much do I then continue to listen with understanding and empathy? Or how much am I just dying to interrupt and say what I wanna say because I don't agree with you? It's those kinds of executive functions that we're looking for as we're developing the student agency. And so we can't say you're great at it. What we can say is you have an inclination, you have a strength, you seem to consistently find ways to do this in situations that call for it. And we also can say, here's some places that you need to grow. And here's some ways that we can grow those dispositions. So we have lots of material on our website that kind of shares the way some teachers are looking at this question of assessment of the dispositions from a growth perspective. And, and I think the competencies that are drafted right now by local school districts and um, the state in a handful of cases right now in the United States is really trying to pay attention to both the content territory as well as the dispositional territory that Benna just suggested. Because one of the, one of the things that I'm noticing is that a fair number of folks are really prioritizing unpacking certain aspects of the standards, but not the full gamut. So for example, um, in the mathematics standards, if we don't pay attention to mathematical practices, the likelihood is that um, teachers will continue to pay attention to content mastery as opposed to how we're growing the dispositional thinking of a, a, a powerful and effective and adaptive problem solver, as a for instance. So a lot of things there to think about. Uh, and this conversation has been, um, some might say, sort of theoretical and, and definitely necessary to set some of the parameters around uh, understanding some of this terminology and some of this content, so to speak. So let's take it down to that classroom level. So both of you work um, with districts 
quite a bit, as I understand. Can you give us some example, an example or two of this idea of what we've been talking about? What does it look like in the classroom? Because we hear that a lot from our teachers. We've been spending most of our time since we're sort of on the on-ramp here to okay. personalize learning. Uh, our teachers and our principals say, but what does this really look like? So give us a glimpse into that from you, from your work. So uh, let's sort of imagine what um, an elementary school can look like. So I observed um, a fabulous practice when I was in Douglas County, Colorado of a third grade classroom. It was her math block. And when I walked in the room, um, three eight-year-olds sort of instantly greeted me at the door and said, let me show you what math learning looks like in, in our classroom. And so they walked me through um, different stations that were set up. So the classroom teacher um, waved at me from the back of the room where she was engaged in small group instruction with three students. But um, just because she waved at me doesn't mean that, um, <laughs> that the, my tour guides were done by any stretch of the imagination. So they first showed me the smart board where they showed how people were grouped for that particular 90 minute block and started to, to describe how where they were grouped was directly connected to the goals they set up for themselves on the Monday of that week. So they had an opportunity to start thinking about what am I struggling with, where am I successful, and how can I continue to grow my math learning for this given week. So the next thing that they steered me to was a station where they were um, engaged in with two computers doing front row. Um, so it's a, a skills-based program to start to say, hey, um, these are things that I need to get practice on. Then they put me at another station where there were a group of students that were about to get ready to do Screencastify, to demonstrate, to show what they've learned. And they were responsible for not only describing the conceptual idea, but also playing out a concrete example or two to talk it through. And then there was another station that was um, uh, focusing on the idea of makerspace. So the intention of trying to build something to demonstrate their understanding of um, parts to whole, so for fractions. And then the final station uh, was uh, geared around what the uh, classroom teacher was doing to continue to guide uh, the work during that lesson. So that's a, a pretty concrete example of a, a teacher that started to think hard about what is the right flow in a math block in a third grade classroom, how do I make it more personalized? Because to be honest with you, that was the one territory she was struggling with over the past two years to continue to make sure that it had that kind of personalized relational feel. So that was her, not just her answer, but she actually posed that to the students. So it wasn't just um, sort of whole class mini lessons and then folks scattered to the winds, but much more intentional in uh, the approach and the design. And the students very much actually had a huge hand in creating that. So if we bring that up to the secondary level and we take some of the ideas that secondary people are now beginning to challenge students with, just imagine the classrooms in which goal setting is a serious part of the classroom. 
So instead of just thinking that it's the goals that the teacher are setting or the objectives for the lesson that's up on the board, it's actually that students have goals, that they know their goals in relationship to, for example, in a classroom where I was, where the teacher very much did a whole self-directed kind of orientation to chemistry class. So it began with his saying, okay, we are going to really manage our own learning. And so one of the first things he did was he co-created a flowchart. And the flowchart, interestingly enough, answered a question that they're always struggling with when they do more labs and project-based work. And he said, what happens if you're absent? What's your responsibility? And so they did a flowchart on if I'm absent, yes, no, was there a test? If there was a test, where do I go? And they created the kind of place to go. If we had a group meeting and I missed it, how do I get in touch with the group members so that I catch up? And so the students created this incredibly interesting flowchart of how do I take care of making sure that I'm active in the classroom, responsible for my learning, and when I'm absent, that I don't let everyone else in my group down as a result of that. So that would be the idea of goal setting, but goal setting where students are now setting the goals for a unit of study. And then in addition, when Allison was talking about learning stations, so a middle school teacher had said, I'm getting the kids prepared to review for a test that they're going to have. This was in the state of uh, Texas. And so we're going to create learning stations in which kids are going to have an opportunity to move from station to station in order to do some test review. But I know that all kids don't need test review because some of them are actually quite prepared. So how do I differentiate and say, these will be going to these stations and then have some exciting, interesting ways to apply what they know from their expertise for those students who didn't need to keep doing the review. So that would just raise the question of how do I distinguish between the needs the students have and the ways that I'm now addressing those needs without thinking that it's one size fits all. And then finally, as I'm sure you're well aware, a lot of the project-based learning, a lot of the ways that people are doing designs that are more performance oriented really gives at the secondary level wonderful opportunities. However, most of the places then find we have to make a change in schedule. We can't really continue to schedule 45 minute periods and expect that our kids are going to really dig more deeply into some of the work that we're looking at. So how do we shift some of the schedules? How do we make sure that we're combining different disciplines in ways that give deeper meaning to what we're doing? How do we make sure that we are able to change our grouping patterns? Are we changing our, our structures in which we're looking at not only the schedules, but also looking at personnel? How do we make sure that we're continuing to make those shifts? And I would recommend that if these kinds of questions are paramount to, and we believe they are paramount to personalized learning, that a complementary book that you might want to think about in relationship to this would be the new book from Heidi Hayes Jacobs and Marie Alcock, in which they, in which they actually describe the kinds of structures that are necessary in order for personalized learning to really be taking place. We'll definitely add that link to our show notes and check it out uh, for ourselves. Um, I'm thinking, Ben, I, you're talking about some of these changes that need, need to be uh, made. And while some of these are at a, a classroom level, most of them are system-wide, whether it's a school or a district. And to move from that traditional school-centered 
system-wide paradigm to more learner-centered or more personalized, we're going to need that shift in mindset. And we also need the shift in um, some of the structures. So what suggestions would you give to leaders as we work to make this transformation a reality for our schools? Well, of course, you know, I have a particular bias around habits of mind. Yes. <laughs> but I would say that it's, I find it very interesting. Faculty meetings, ways in which people are trying to collaborate, but they haven't done the groundwork of really learning how to collaborate in a way that's going to be productive to the kinds of questions. So getting them to be in a more inquiry-based mode, what will help you to learn more about these kinds of questions? And what I'm finding is that very often, we don't distinguish well between fact and opinion. And that in fact, when we have these conversations, many of them are much more grounded in opinion than they are in the kind of data that we might have in our schools that help to suggest, just, just yesterday was a perfect example in which a math teacher was contending that you could do a traditional approach of teaching math and you would still have the same results, if not better, than the ones that are happening by the people who are in a more kind of project-oriented conceptual kind of classroom. And the answer to that was very interesting because the administrator said, well, I really have to say that the data doesn't show that. Mm -hmm. That in fact, the data of how the kids are doing in these tests, that they're really doing better work as a result of your having given them more opportunities to apply their learning. Mm -hmm. So it's not okay to be traditional and stay traditional when the data suggests to you that that's not working. So that's just a small example, but I think that leadership needs to help us by promoting the kind of data that's really helpful to answer the kinds of questions we're asking, and then also supporting the opportunities for PLCs, for small group meetings, but all of that has to be grounded in protocols, facilitation, careful understandings of what collaboration really looks like when it is highly productive, which only then translates to the way teachers need to teach kids the very same kinds of facilitation skills. So I want to build on um, the heart of what Benna was describing right now, and it really is grounded in inquiry. So it's not just their folks' capacity to collaborate with one another. So the uh, the 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 disposition of thinking inter interdependently, but also thinking flexibly in the kinds of questions and problems that they are immersed in. But part of inquiry is really action research. And I think one of the ways to continue to push um, traditional thought is to start seeing what other people are doing. So there are several districts that um, Ben and I are working with where part of the process is really sort of connecting them to our own professional learning networks to start to say, here, here's a good place for you to go visit. Here's a good um, person for you to chat with. So one of, the, one of the things that I also hope is that as we're continuing to um, sort of move through the space of what it is that we're unhappy about, what it is that we know we need to urgently start shifting, we do so in a way that goes back to um, focusing on relationships, trying to pay attention to the idea that we don't want learning to be more efficient for everyone. We want learning to actually be meaningful, purposeful. It has a, a, a significant amount of authenticity and meaningfulness as part of the um, 
conversation because I think the, the joyful part of learning really has been on the wane over the past decade and trying to create an environment where teachers and students are excited to walk into the school to me is what this is all about. So we could advise leaders to use our four uh, attributes as a filter for thinking about whether the school is in fact, or the district is in fact, developing a, an environment for personalized learning. So if I were a building principal, I could be asking the question, where do I see voice happening for everyone, but particularly for my faculty, let's say? Where do I see the opportunities that I offer for co-creation, which is part of what Allison is suggesting with the inquiry-based approach? Where do I make sure that I am allowing for social construction, as she was suggesting, with visits, with getting in touch with expertise, and sharing that and understanding that as a meaningful opportunity? And then what am I learning, self-discovery? What am I learning, not only about myself, but what, I, what am I discovering about the school that would really help us to be more open to and flexible with the kinds of changes we need to make. What you're describing uh, in terms of leadership for a learner-centered environment is this idea of leadership through inquiry, as opposed to the traditional sort of school-based uh, mm -hmm. leadership by directive. And uh, so we've been, as leaders, we've been sort of toying around with these ideas quite a bit. So hearing you um, describe it in the way that you did, uh, lots of connections there. So this has been a really fascinating conversation, but before we leave, what's next for Allison and Benna? You've been working with different school districts. Is there anything that you'd like to share? What's next is just to continue to continue writing that book. <laughs> you know, a book only has a deadline and, it's, and it becomes a closure in a certain sense, but it opens all the opportunities to learn from practice. And so the two of us are constantly developing more ideas, thinking about how to make this work in schools and developing kind of resources and products and ideas that are gonna help everybody to be able to move in this direction. We are very dedicated and passionate about all of this. And we know that the kinds of questions we're all asking, not just everybody out there, but us as well. We just have the privilege of being able to be Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> it can go from place to place. We can learn from what we see. And if we're good at it, we can network people, we can synthesize, we can share through our blogs what we're learning. And that, I think, is what's been making us feel the most passionate. Although Allison and I spoke the other day, and one of the things we realized is when we're needing to be that self-directed, in other words, no deadline for a book to be done, <laughs> we're now having to practice some skills mm. ourselves. Like, how do we set goals? When will we be sure we're going to do this? What's the inquiry that we're pursuing? And so it's been a humbling experience for ourselves to live the life of personalizing in order to learn how to personalize. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and to me, the, the heart uh, and, and sort of the driving force as well that Ben and I are after is trying to make this accessible. Um, so to try to make it um, open to people that are a little leery of starting to dip their toe in the water of personalized learning. So one of the things that we sort of quietly say, it's like, listen, you just have to start. So you have to give it a go to start imagining yourself in the flow of this design and development. And one of the cautionary notes that I would share is um, 
to over intellectualize about it, to theorize about it. Um, we can get lost in that for a couple of a couple of years, and there's really no action. So while it may be something that we hope and imagine at the same time, if we talk about it too long without doing something, it actually drains the energy and drains the resources of all of the key stakeholders. And finally, uh, just a, another quick um, moment to start to say personalized learning is not the next great initiative. Personalized learning is really grounded in how can we continue to keep our minds focused on the fact that learning is a very personal journey and trying to make sure that as we're moving through this, that we are very much putting learners at the center, whether it's um, a classroom level or a system level, and how can we continue to grow and shape using the contemporary technologies, technologies we have to help with the curriculum, the assessment, and the grading and reporting, but at the same time, do so in a way that grows the relationships, that grows the connections amongst folks, because I think that's as much needed today now more than ever before to actually understand one another's worldviews and try to think about how we can continue to think and work and grow together. So thank you very much for giving us so much to think about and certainly a great point to end on. How can we continue to learn and grow um, together? So thank you for joining us. In our show notes, we have linked uh, many resources from um, Allison and Benna's work, uh, web-based PL community, collection of habits of mind resources. You can follow Allison on Twitter at Allison underscore Zamuda. And you can also follow Benna at Benna Kalik. So emails are in the show notes as well as some additional links to their book and we will add the uh, book that you referenced. So thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Each episode, we leave you with questions to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. This episode's questions are, one, how has your school or district embraced the habits of mind and embedded them in a vision for personalized learning? And two, how has your understanding of personalized learning shifted? as a result of our conversation today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find links to the resources that we mentioned in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season three, episode nine. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Allison and Benna. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.
y 